1: Yes, God desires out of all of us is that we would be that light that just shines out.
0: Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's core truth.
1: Well, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 23, and I entitled this message, Faith Lived Out. You know, as Christians, we're called to actually live out our faith in a tangible way. Uh, And that's really in two ways. It's by action and how we live, and also by our mouth and sharing the gospel. Yet that seems extremely difficult in our day and age, for many Christians struggle living out their faith and sharing the gospel. And why is that? Maybe it's because we live in L.A. And people are not so open to conversation here. In fact, people can be a little short, to put it mildly. And trying to love one another in a city that is extremely callous can prove to be, well, tough and thankless. Then there's the sharing of our faith part. You know, we live in a culture that's extraordinarily liberal-minded. It dominates our society's ideology, leaving us to feel rejected by our surroundings and dejected by those that we try and attempt to share our faith with. But let's not forget, with all the overwhelming issues that our world is facing, not just America, but the entire planet is facing, most people are saturated in just mental overload. Meaning, how does anyone really deal with all the problems that we're facing globally? I mean, we're bankrupt as a country. The world globally is bankrupt. Inflation is crushing the family budget. Violence and crime are skyrocketing, just to say a few things. It's all that people hear about now. Humanity as a whole is trying to figure out how in the world do we cope with all that's happening around us? I think we've all been conditioned from times past to just, well, we just hope it all going to get better one day. You know, well, is it? Is it going to get better? And how long is that going to take? And what's going to help me in the here and now? Well, this is where we can all have a huge impact on those that are around us. We're all looking for a break, a light at the end of the tunnel, for life gets just a little bit easier somehow, please, for us in the here and now. And if we can see the difficulty level of life as Christians and we see it getting harder and harder, what does the average non-believer think? What is that person? How is he processing all this? How is he dealing with it when they see the same things that we're seeing? This is why we as believers need to embrace what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, where he says, you are the light of the world. Who's the you? it's us, it's his sons and his daughters. He says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. So it gives light to all. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they can tangibly see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So God wants us to be a light that shines. Now, is it just because we're the light? Like, oh, look at me. I'm like a little light bulb. I'm just being, you know, I come into a room and I light. No, 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 no. We're not the light of the world. What Jesus is saying there, because he said in John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world and I'm living inside of you. So I want to shine out of your life. So when we go into a room and we're the light of the world, it's because we're letting people see not us, but Jesus living inside of us. And again, that's what we're called to do as believers, to allow people to see what Christ has done in our hearts. We can't hide it. We're not to be a a light under a basket. We're to be here in this dark city as bright lights. Yes, God desires out of all of us is that we would be that light. That just shines out. Now today, as we continue here in the book of Exodus, last time we left off with looking at the standards that God has called us, his true sons and daughters to live by. And that, by the way, is why we study the Bible. Like, why are we studying through the book of Exodus on Sunday mornings? Because God has something in every book for us. That's why we go book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, so that we can clearly see not how the world desires us to live, but rather how God, the God who made us, desires us to live. Yes, the Bible gives you and me clear direction on what God likes and what he dislikes, what is right and what is wrong. The world is embracing most of what God says is wrong, would you not agree? which is why the world, not just America, is in such bad shape right now. Every continent, every country, every province, every city has got massive problems. Why? Because they've rejected to live in accordance to what the creator God has told us to live by. Let's not forget, God gave us the Bible, as an owner's manual to humanity for us to live by. The creator has given to his creation for us to have explained to us how we can live a happy life in the midst of this broken world. Isn't that a message that's worth sharing with other people? I love what it says in 2 Peter 1-2. It says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us, to who? To his children, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory in excellence. So what is he saying there? He's saying God has granted his grace and his peace, to be multiplied to you and to me, to those who have received him as their Lord, to those who have embraced him and his true knowledge, to those who not only read his word, but to those who obey his word. Yes, it's to those that God, by his divine power, grants everything pertaining to life, everything. But again, what does that mean on a practical level in our everyday life? It just simply means God has a purpose and a plan that will unfold in our life. Remember, prayers are not bending God to our desires. Prayer is seeking God's plan to unfold in our lives. It's saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. Because God knows what, is going to, what it's going to take to cause you and me to find a fullness in this life. For God blesses our obedience in spite of our circumstances. So the circumstances of the world are going one direction and yeah, they're a little messed up with everything right now. But yet, isn't it crazy how the true believer, if he walks in obedience to God, meaning he's not gonna walk according to the world as the world is walking, he's gonna walk in accordance to obedience to Christ, he or she can be blessed even though the world is not seeing the blessings of God. It's a crazy paradox, but it's so true. Understand, God is at work in you and me, not just for this life on this side of heaven, but his purpose always has a bigger picture in mind. And what is that? It's God's eternal plan for you and me, that we would spend forever in heaven with him one day, along with those around us. That's right. He wants the people that you know in this life to have the next life in heaven together forever. But as his children, our heavenly father, like any loving parent, but even more so than our loving parents, because of God's mercy and grace, he wants to pour out his favor upon us. But how much favor that he pours upon us is determined, listen, by our level of obedience to him. It's not by how much we have a positive confession of something, or let me just speak positively. No, no, God's favor upon us is determined by our desire to walk in obedience to him as we desire to listen to him as we desire to become more like him and do what he's called us to do in his word. And with that in mind, let's look at our first point here, how to act as we read together, starting here in Exodus 23, verse 1. It says, You shall not bear a false report. Do not join your hand with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. Don't lie about anything. He's saying, verse 2, You shall not follow the masses in doing evil. Don't follow the mob, okay? Nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his dispute. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering, you shall return it to who? Him, your enemy. What, I'm going to help him out? Yes. Verse 4, he says... Uh, verse five, I'm sorry. And if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless with his load on his back, you shall refrain from leaving it to him alone. So that means you're going to come alongside your enemy and help him in his problem there. And you shall surely release it with him. Verse six, you shall not pervert the justice due to your needy brother in his dispute. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent or the righteous for I will not acquit the guilty. What what do we do here? We acquit the guilty. We let people off easy. We slap their hand and let them go. God says, no, I'm not going to do that. Verse eight, you shall not take a bribe for a bribe blinds the clear sighted and subverts the cause of justice. And then we see that in politicians. Oh, you scratch my back. I'll scratch yours. Oh, you're going to give me more money. You'll do this. And then I'll vote for whatever you want to vote for, even though it might be wrong. And God says, don't do that. Verse nine, and you shall not oppress a stranger since you yourselves know the feelings of a stranger for you were, also strangers in the land of Egypt, okay, so we read a lot there, but let's all break it down here. okay, so notice where it all the text begins. He says basically in the first couple verses don 't lie, don't bear false witness, no matter who it is don't don't join together with those who are wicked again, why? because they do wicked things. Don't lie to help someone not look bad or to get someone else out of trouble if they're guilty. So don't sit there and say, hey, bro, can you just say I did this so I don't look so bad? No, don't lie for someone else. Verse 2 says, don't follow the masses. Don't follow the mob. If what they're doing is wrong, don't you do it too. Right here, God is discounting the excuse that so many of us has used in times past where everyone else is doing it. God says, no, no, that doesn't work here. That is not an excuse to do what is wrong. Plus, as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us that's warning us through our own conscience inside of what is wrong and what is right. So if something's wrong and the Lord's putting a little flashing light in your head like, I, I, you shouldn't do that, this is wrong, don't do it because everyone else is doing it. Jesus told us that the gates of hell would not prevail over the church that's established on him, the solid rock. But know this: Satan knows that he can't win against the church that's founded on Jesus Christ. And since Satan knows that he can't win against a church that's founded on Christ, he does the unthinkable. Guess what Satan does? He joins the church. That's right. He goes. Hey, if you can't beat him, join him. And this is why so many churches do not teach the truth of God's word in its entirety today because Satan has joined that church and has deluded so many pastors and convinced the pastors to be more politically correct. Jesus is love, right? We need to just love everybody. So we don't want to say anything that's going to offend someone. See, that's Satan joining the church. We don't want to chase anyone away, do we? So they water down the teaching of God's word to make it more appealing to our culture. But what's better? To water down the word of God and give someone a false sense of security as if everything is good with them in God when they're living in total outright sin before God and when they stand before God, they'll be judged and sent to hell. Is it better to just somehow candy coat everything that they think everything is fine? Or is it better to tell them the truth, to deal with it now so they can get right, so they can spend eternity in heaven? See, this is what Satan comes in and does. See, it's the worst thing that we could do by taking the the word of God and compromising it because the power of God's word is in the uncompromised teaching of the truth. And if we don't do that, then we're no different than the fake news that fills the gullible ears of those who embrace it on the nightly news every night. Yes, the world is full of the fake news. The worst thing that any church can do is to join the world with fake news. The worst thing that we can do is compromise The true teaching of God's word. Again, why? Because God never changes. And his word is contrary. If his word is contrary to our belief system, we need to change what we believe. We need to stick with what God says. Remember what he said in Isaiah 45 9? He says, Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. Because isn't that what the world does? They quarrel with the maker. I want to live this lifestyle. I don't know why you Christians are so fundamental. It's like, if I love this person, they they love me. It's like, it doesn't matter all this other stuff. That's all that matters. Just love, love. That's it. We're two consenting adults. How can you say anything is wrong with what we're doing? Listen, it's like you're quarreling with your maker because your problem's not with me. I'm just a messenger. Your problem, if you're doing something contrary to God's word, your problem is with him and it's not with me. And so it's like you understand, it's like God wants relationship with us. And if we are willing to take his word and to wash it away, it's like then we were not gonna have a relationship with him. That's why he says, woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. That word woe means grief, sorrow, and misery. So God is saying, grief, sorrow, and misery on you if you're gonna argue with me about what is sin and what is not sin. See, God has called us to live opposite of the world. That's the calling of every Christian. We're to live opposite of the way that the world is going. God said that he desires us to be holy, even as he is holy. Now look, that's a process, right? I mean, some of us, you know, we come to the Lord like I did. I had all kinds of sin in my life. So it didn't just happen overnight where, okay, I'm just walking everything perfect with the Lord now. No, it's a process that God has this sanctifying where He's working with us as we're sinning less and sinning less and sinning less in our life. But God says, look, I don't want you to hang out with a non believer. And we're thinking like, well, what does that mean? Because, you know, I had my best friend ever since first grade, Bobby Coloss. And it's like, man, from first grade all the way through high school. And we did everything together. We dated our first girls together, smoked our first joints, man. We got drunk together. We did all the sin together. I mean, we were like band of brothers here. And then I came to know Christ. And he didn't. And all of a sudden, now there's this conflict. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, he says, do not be deceived. Like, don't delude yourself. Bad company corrupts good morals. Like, I could not continue to hang out with that person that's walking in a complete polar opposite. Like, no, I don't bong anymore. Okay, I can't do this anymore. He goes on to say, become sober-minded as you ought. And stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So while you're out there hanging out with your party friends or people that are going in the wrong direction, you're thinking, well, I'm going to lift them up. But actually, you're not lifting them up. They're pulling you down. And therefore, there's other people that need to hear about the truth of God's word. And you're wasting your time with these other people. See, true Christians, true Christians should stand out in the crowd. Not as holier than now, stagnant, overly religious, pious, insincere hypocrites. No, that's not what God wants. But rather a group of sinners that have been forgiven by God, who by God's grace, they have received his mercy. And because of that, we want those around us to receive the same mercy we have and have the hope of heaven that we have. Are we willing? to tell those around us about this message? That they could be forgiven as we have been forgiven? God, I can't even tell you the amount of guilt that I've had in my life over my years of life of all the things I've done wrong and this and that. And boy, with the fact that God has forgiven me and has given me a, a refreshing of my soul. It's like, that is worth sharing with someone else that they could have that same forgiveness that I've had. It is worth it. Yes, We must be honest, never to pervert justice. And as we get back to our text here in verse four and five, it says that we're even to help our enemies. What? We're to help our enemies? So he gives us an example here. If we see his donkey loose or in trouble, we're to help him, you know, and I don't know about you, but I haven't seen too many people here in America today, or especially in the city of Los Angeles, with their donkey running free here. You know, it's like, oh, let me return your donkey to the owner. Okay, so this is a, 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 a God's given us an example here. So maybe it would be instead of his donkey running free, maybe it's his dog. Maybe you got a neighbor, and it just he irritates you. You can't stand this neighbor, but he loves his dog. Maybe his dog does his business on your, your front yard, and you're like, I hate that dog. And maybe you see the dog gets out. His gate wasn't closed all the way. And, you, you know, the natural mind is like, oh, there's your dog. Too bad. See ya. God says, no, go get the dog and take it back to your neighbor." Take it back to your enemy, the guy that has thrown you under the bus, the guy that has stabbed you in the back. You know, take him home. If your enemy has a flat tire, maybe you share a driveway. You know, a lot of driveways are shared here in L.A. And maybe you come out and your neighbor's always oh, got his front tire parked on your part of the driveway. It just drives you crazy, okay? And you come out and he's got a flat tire and you're like, yeah, serves you right? <laughs> okay, no, no, we're to help him. We're to help him fix his tire. It's like, why would we do that? That's the point. No regular person would do that. It's not something that we would do. We don't do that for our enemy, but that's what God wants us to do, to be different. Know this, a non-believer expects us to be just like them, rude, crude, and socially unacceptable. You want to start yelling with your neighbor next door that you hate? Hey, they'll yell at you all day long. But when you do the complete polar opposite and you help that coworker that has stabbed you in the back, you help that neighbor that always gives you a hard time, they don't even know how to process that. They don't even like, like that doesn't register. Oh, you want to fight? We can fight. What, you want to love on me after what I've done to you? They, they can't process that. And that right there, my friend, is what opens the door of ministry. Because they're like, what are you? Like, they can't figure that out. They can figure out fighting. They can figure out yelling, name-calling. But they can't figure that kind of love out. And that opens the door. This is what separates the true Christian from the religious person. This was the point that Jesus was trying to make in the Sermon on the Mount when he said in Matthew 5 20, for I say to you that unless your righteousness, your good works, your goody 2 your stuff surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, wait a second. That must have been... Mind-blowing for these people because the religious leaders, they look so perfect. Look, and they got their long flowing robes. They walk around. They talk these big, long prayers that they you know, recite on the street corners. And it's just like, oh, they're such a holy person. You ever look at someone so good and so nice like that? God's like, I don't want you to be like that where it all looks good on the outside. Oh, there's your neighbor, the little churchgoer with the Bible every Sunday goes to church. No, I want you to tangibly live it out because see, those religious people in their heart is corrupt. I want you to in your heart not be corrupt. And I want you to reach out to your enemy. I want you to love on people that don't deserve to be loved. That's who I want you to be. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio.
0: You've been listening to Pastor and Bible Teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Core Truth is sponsored by and is a listener supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you've been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, all one word, to 77977. You can also get via our app and online at corechurchla.org or you can mail your support to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California 90034.